The Boston Celtics take on the Miami Heat in the Eastern Conference Finals. The Los Angeles Lakers take on the Denver Nuggets in the Western Conference Finals. The bubble is back. We'll preview the Conference Finals. Plus, the Sixers had an epic meltdown. Monty Williams got fired. John Morant's in trouble again. The show is loaded. This is Locked On NBA. You are Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On NBA, your daily source for all things NBA from the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Thanks for making this your first listen. We appreciate you guys joining us on whatever platform that you choose. You can check a live version of the show or a video version of it over on YouTube. And uh, you can catch us on Apple Podcasts, leave those five-star reviews, and on Spotify, as well as anywhere that you get podcasts. We appreciate you guys making us part of your Day today's show is brought to you by the Game Time app. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code Locked On NBA for twenty dollars off your first purchase. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed on the Game Time app. My name is Matt Moore. I'm the senior NBA writer for the Action Network and co-host of Locked On Nuggets. Very busy as they are in the conference finals. His name is David Ramil. He's co-host of Locked On Heat. He's also very busy because the Heat are still in the conference finals. David, usually we're, we're able to kind of downshift, but you, are, I guess, have gotten used to this, given that the Heat are in the conference finals so often at this point. <laughs> yeah, third time in four years, but whatever. And who's keeping track <laughs> of those kinds of things, right? Uh, lots of stuff to get to on today's show. We have an absolutely packed show. Uh, we're going to start with the Eastern Conference Finals preview, talk about the Boston Celtics and the Miami Heat. Uh, we are going to get to the Lakers and the Nuggets series in the second segment. In the end, we are going to do a roundtable because there is so much other stuff. We wanted to give the games that are being played, the basketball, the actual main event here on the show. But there's all of the off-court drama and free agency and all of the stuff that we will have to get to. And we're going to hit that quick uh, hitter in the last segment. So make sure to check that out as I will be rattling off hot takes. I have so many takes to get <laughs> off on the show today. But we'll start with the Eastern Conference Finals. The Boston Celtics storm back for being down 3-2. Down on the road in game six, take game seven at home in a blowout that has absolutely rocked Philadelphia to the core and has a lot of people wondering if the process is worth it. We'll talk about that yeah. later. But the Celtics really behind a dominant performance from Jason Tatum, 51 points, the most in an NBA game seven ever. Uh, no turnovers for Tatum. No, zero Really impressive performance. Uh, everybody was good for the Celtics in that game. Al Horford's defense was amazing. Jalen Brown gave them what they needed in terms of support. Marcus Smart made plays. Everybody played great. Their defense showed up. Great performance for them to get past the Sixers and avoid what would have been a, a pretty rattling loss in its own right for the Celtics. And now they take on the Miami Heat, who they obviously know very well. This is the third matchup in four seasons for these two franchises in the conference finals. I can't believe that this has become such a thing. The Miami Heat this season enter the conference finals now as the eighth seed. David, you and I talked throughout the year. Yep. And I will I will give you I will give you this. You were very fair in being critical of the team and about how they were not like they did not at any point show you that they were good enough, but you never were like, yeah, there's no chance. You were like, well, We'll see when we get there. They got Jimmy Butler, and now here they are. They got Jimmy Butler. I have a lot of questions uh, about this series. I think it's going to be an interesting one, even though I think the results, uh, to me, is pretty clear. Let's go ahead and just go top line. 
What is your what's the most important thing do you think about the series between the Celtics and the Heat? Well, perhaps it seems somewhat homerish, but I, I think the status of Jimmy Butler's ankle mm. certainly weighs heavily on Miami's chances. I, you know, it's so hard to discount what Miami's done because even with Jimmy Butler limited for five games in that series versus the New York Knicks, they still won three of those matchups. Uh, you know, they had a blowout, not a blowout, but they had a convincing win in game one against the Knicks. He gets hurt late in the fourth quarter. They go on to win. Then, of course, they, you know, they even up the series, go back home, take two from the Knicks, whatever. The point is, Jimmy's somewhat hobbled, and I, I think he's getting better. We got an update of practice today. It seems like he's getting better, 7% better, according to Eric Spolster, jokingly, <laughs> trying to assess exactly what's going on with Jimmy. He's going to play, and I think he's going to fight through it regardless, but it just limits the ceiling as what he can do. We saw in the last five games of the series, well, four games because he missed game two against the Knicks, in the four games against the Knicks where he did uh, he did play, uh, where he was after the, the, the ankle injury, he didn't reach the level of playoff Jimmy that we've all ascribed. The, what we saw against the Milwaukee Bucks when he had that historic 56-point performance, etc. So that's a huge factor is that I think that kind of weighs heavily on everything. Our, our ability to predict what goes on in the series is defined by whether or not Jimmy is capable of, in my opinion, being the best player in the series. Like whatever we've seen from Jason Tatum over the last five quarters against the Sixers is fantastic. And I think – on paper, you would go so far as to say Tatum is probably a better player. What Jimmy does in the playoffs or what he's capable of and has been for the past few seasons, I think exceeds it to a certain degree. And I think there's an impact there what he does in terms of being able to carry his team, provide an inspirational role, play defense at a higher level than Tatum. Tatum's a great defender, a great player, great scorer. Again, over the regular season, Tatum is 100% better than Jimmy Butler. But playoff Jimmy is a little different. And so when he's capable of leading the team the way he did against the Bucs and the way he did in stretches against the Knicks, I think he's still the better player and can help change the course of the series. Um, so that, that to me is the biggest factor between these two matchups is that if you have a playoff Jimmy or a healthy Jimmy, it could change how Miami attacks the series, their ability to, to win against the Celtics. And I think that kind of – from there, it's a trickle-down effect because then you have a first-year head coach in Joe Mazzola. And what kind of uh, changes does he make? Does he does he tw tweak the, the starting lineup? Does he bring more players off the bench? Do we see Grant Williams come off the bench the way he couldn't against the Philadelphia 76ers? You know, there's a lot of different factors there. And then how Eric Spolstra, who many can, you know are convinced is the better coach at this point, in this particular matchup, and I think he's proven that he is, what adjustments does he make? Because he's seen it all before. He knows exactly how to respond through this Celtics series. So there's a lot kind of, to me, I look at it more of like a pyramid. You start off with Jimmy's injury and then kind of trickle down from there. And, and that kind of defines and shapes the rest of the series and how it plays out. Yeah. I mean, I think any matchup I try and do the if game, which is like, all right, what, what has to go right in order for a team to win? Yeah. And for the Heat, it starts with if Jimmy Butler is healthy and plays like Jimmy, like Jimmy playoff, playoff Butler, yeah. Yeah. right? If Spo is the best, is has such a huge coaching advantage as we expect he will. That's pretty solid. I think he will. Okay. And th this is where it gets tough. If the other Heat players can provide enough offense, that to me is when we start to get into like a really shaky territory. Uh, the third, the first three games of the playoffs versus the Bucks, the Heat had a effective field goal percentage of sixty percent or better they shot the lights out in those first couple of games versus the bucks shocked them and they never really recovered in that series like bucks fans will point to Giannis, and i'll just be like i don't know man they shot the lights out i don't know what you were going to do like your defense just simply could not do anything to stop them 
in the last three games or four games, I'm sorry, versus the Knicks in three of those four, they had an effective field goal percentage below 50. That's really bad for those that don't love the numbers. If you don't want to talk about graph, if you don't want to talk about a graph and a hoop combo, it's bad. It's a real bad percentage. I don't know if the Heat have enough offense because I think the Celtics baseline offensively, their floor offensively is really high. Yeah. I think that Jimmy can be the best player in the series. Legitimately think that. I think he's been the best player. I don't remember the last series. I guess 2020, maybe, was like the last time that I can remember him not being, well, I guess the 2021 loss to the Bucs, right? Yeah, that's for sure. Like, in general, Jimmy's been the best player in almost every season, even when he's lost. But he's going to have to get some help because Tatum has Jalen Brown, and Marcus Smart will do some stuff, and Derek White will do some stuff, and Malcolm Brogdon will do some stuff, and Al Horford will hit some threes. And with the Heat, it's like, okay, like to me this is – I don't know if he'll if he'll have that much pressure on him because people just don't really think of him. If the if the Heat want to win the series, Bam Adebayo is going to have to be going to be a guy. He doesn't have to be the guy. That's yeah. Jimmy, but Bam Adebayo is going to have to be huge in this series. He's done it. He's he's, he's done it against the Celtics. You know that that's the thing too. He did it in the Eastern Conference Finals in the Orlando Bubble. He did it last year in the Eastern mm-hmm. Conference Finals. There's potential there. I mean, Robert Williams, great defender. Horford, great defenders, both. But, but I think Bam has the advantage of speed and quickness. So it, he'll provide some offense. But, you know, that's the thing about this Heat team and what makes them so difficult to predict and, and, and to kind of anticipate what happens next is they will get those contributions. It's just you never know where it's going to come from on a nightly basis. It's going to be Kyle Lowry for sure. Max Struess, Duncan Robinson coming off the bench. Like it, it, it's yeah, Gabe Vincent. He had big nights against the, the Knicks in the games one and two. And then Spo said, you know what? We got to tweak our defense around. We got to, you got to pick up Jalen Brunson 94 feet and hope that you can do something to challenge him a little bit. It really didn't take Brunson out of his offensive repertoire, but it took Gabe out of being a more complete offensive player. And, and you know, does that change in this series when he doesn't have to lock up Keith, you know, uh, Marcus Smart for 94 feet? I, I, I think there's a potential there. So it's, look, it's so hard to discuss Miami because, again, you look at Jimmy and you look at Bam, they're missing Tyler Hero, their third-best player, and then it's a bunch of undrafted players. And that's held against them because, on paper, they don't have the talent, which is so hard to quantify anyway. And, yes, Boston is the better team. Malcolm Brogdon, Derek White, as you pointed out, there's a lot of different options there. But Miami still finds a way to get it done. I mean, I'm at a point where I, I am sick and tired of trying to predict what this team will do. And I can't discount what they'll do either. Like they could be, they could be swept, or they could cruise to the finals, and and that's all in the realm of possibilities for this particular team. That's just that's just how difficult they are to kind of map out because they just find a way. And I think and I made this point on Lockdown Heat today, and you can discount it if you want. But as much as we're kind of looking at the at the at the Celtics and saying, you know what, they went to the finals, they're hungry for that opportunity. I think Miami's just a tad bit hungrier. Because they see the closing window for their championship opportunities and for Jimmy Butler or Kyle Lowry, if he wants to get another ring for all the players on this roster, the veterans that want to be able to to get another championship. I think they're just a tad bit hungrier. The fact that they didn't get to the finals last year and they were so close again, game seven. I I think they, they want it just a little bit more than Boston does. So I'm curious to see how much of a factor that might be. Uh, All right. I would love to get more into the series, but we're up against it for more on, Heat versus Celtics. Check out Lock on Heat with David Ramil and Wes Goldberg. 
available wherever you get podcasts, your team every day. David, before we, we, we go to a break, give me a prediction for Heat Celtics. I said Heat and six, and I'm going to stick with it. Wow. Bold. All right. I got Celtics and six. Uh, good, good team, but this Heat team has not convinced me they are so far away from who they've been all year that uh, I'm not I'm not quite there on them it'll be it should be a great series uh and another great battle between these two franchises on the other side we'll talk about the western conference finals and whether or not Nikola Jokic and the Denver Nuggets can break history and finally get past the Los Angeles Lakers or if LeBron will once again return to the finals we'll do that on the other side first I need to tell you about the game time app so there's all these sort of like it's concert season and I love concert season when you're trying to sneak out for one of these great playoff games or if you want to catch a concert or you want to catch a comedy show, all these types of things. Game time is the best place to go because you're going to get these flash deals and they get you these tickets for way better than you're going to find anywhere else. Football, basketball, baseball, concerts, comedy, theater and more. You don't have to plan for months in advance. They've got tickets on. They've got deals on tickets right up until the day of the event. Game time guarantee means you'll always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section and row for less, game time will credit you 110% of the difference. Snag the tickets without the stress with game time. Download the game time app, create an account, and use code locked on NBA for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code locked on NBA for $20 off. Download the game time app today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. We'll be right back on Locked on NBA. Back here on Lockdown NBA, thanks for joining us and making this part of your day. David Ramil and Matt Moore with you on a Tuesday. We have so much to get to in the show. We're going to go ahead and we're going to cover the Western Conference Finals, though. So the Denver Nuggets take on the Los Angeles Lakers in game one on Tuesday night. Uh, this is, a, to me, is a battle of, like, there's the basketball and then there's the narrative, which has been a huge factor in the NBA. And sometimes the narrative beats out the basketball side. Hmm. The Nuggets are a better team. I don't – I'm not being – that's not a hot take. The Nuggets are the number one seed in the Western Conference. They were better all season. They have absolutely stomped through the NBA playoffs. They have home court advantage in the series. They arguably, I, I think it's fair to be arguably, have the best player in the series in Nikola Jokic. They have a really good cast. They have a monster payroll just like the Lakers do. Um, but they've never beaten the Los Angeles Lakers in the playoff series. Uh, LeBron, I don't know if you know this, tends to win playoff series. He just took care of Steph Curry. Like It's an interesting question. If you, take a, if you look at because this really was the tone, uh, the, a four-letter network had a podcast in which someone actually said, you really think that LeBron James and Anthony Davis are going to lose to the Nuggets? That was the thing that was said on a four-letter podcast. Um, I, I think so. I'll, I'll go ahead and do the prediction up front here. I like Nuggets and six. It's not going to shock me if the, if, the, if the Lakers win this series. If Anthony Davis is able to, to slow down Jokic and take off the efficiency just enough, that the Lakers cause enough turnovers, get out in transition, run the ball down the Nuggets' throat, um, that the Nuggets' role players can't hit open looks. It would just be very fitting with the course of NBA history that the Nuggets get to this point with their best team and they can't get past LeBron because LeBron's there and Davis is playing absolutely awesome defensively. 
but the basketball side of this says to me that the Nuggets are going to win. What do you think about the series? And what do you think is the most important thing for Lakers Nuggets? I, I think it's fantastic. Um, I, I, I love the idea of like the, the, the current, one of the current faces of the NBA, the superstar that has defined it for you know 20 seasons now. And it's such a great player. And then a player that often gets overlooked. And I think, it would do so much to change the perspective of the peripheral casual fan that will tune into these series because it's LeBron versus, oh, I've heard this name before. I know he's pretty good, but I've never really seen him play. And I, I've been such a, I mean, I'm a huge Jokic fan and I, I love what he's been able to do this season. I thought he was the MVP over Joel Embiid. I think he's going to be the biggest factor in the series and how he continues to dominate. Uh, how he matches up with Anthony Davis. And even that's like, that kind of takes away the credit from what Denver has done all season. It's like, oh, if the Lakers respond, if they figure it out, then there's not really much of a series. Kind of overlooking the fact that one, Jokic is one of the best players, if not the best player on the planet. And as you mentioned before, they're really deep. So the the idea of these different narratives, the different types of players, the different styles, the, the history of the Lakers versus the kind of relative, uh, you know, unknown nature of the Denver Nuggets makes it really, really fascinating. Uh, I've got Nuggets in seven. I don't know about closing them out in Los Angeles. I think they have that obvious advantage of playing at home, and I think they'll be able to win that series there. So that's my feeling. Uh, overall, I, again, I think it's Denver's depth versus Los Angeles' lack of depth that's going to be a huge factor. Like, we know we're going to get great performances from AD, LeBron, and Nikola Jokic, and I think it's seeing guys like Aaron Gordon, Contavious Caldwell Pope, who's been such a huge factor and will be defensively. Like who, who is he going to defend in the series and how are they going to be able to get easy scoring when it can't be just LeBron and AD carrying the team? And I think, you know, AG is a great uh, defender, a great player in his own right. Uh, could have been an all-star. A lot of people overlooking that. Uh, deserved one, probably. So there's a lot of different things to take into consideration here, but it's, it's, it's going to be a fascinating series. Like that one to me, Almost a little bit more fast. Like I have my personal investment in Lakers and sorry in Heat Celtics, but Lakers Nuggets, are, you know, on paper and outside of it, just seems more interesting because there's these different conflicting personalities and all these things tied into it. It's going to be great. I love the history too of the Lakers versus you know the Nuggets. It's 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 going to be really a fun series. I think. What's funny is if you take off the jerseys, if you take the names <laughs> off, right? This is this is like. Wait, the set the seven seed in the West that like had to make a trade to save their season. Right. That like got like yeah, they upset a Grizzlies team that was imploding, and then a Warriors team that was on its last legs, and Clay Thompson couldn't hit water; he fell out of a boat. Okay, but on the other side of it, you could say like, look, what have the Nuggets really done? They beat the Timberwolves, who nobody really thinks is is that good. I actually think that that was a better performance than people realize. Yeah. Um, and then a Suns team that was Kevin Durant and Devin Booker. And Kevin Durant didn't play well, and no one else. So, like, what have they actually done? It's fascinating because the the Nuggets have not faced a defense like this yet. This is going to be an entirely new challenge for them. The Lakers have not faced an offense like this yet, and that really is to me is going to be like the challenge here is if you look at the numbers, the Lakers' offense has really still been mediocre in the playoffs. Now they face the Grizzlies, who are the top three defense in the NBA. Right. They were without Brandon Clark and Steven Adams, but that's still like Jaron Jackson Jr., defensive player of the year. The Grizzlies were a really good defensive team. And they face the Warriors, who in the playoffs are always a really good defensive team. Um, and the Nuggets, you know, on the other side of it, like again, they face the Suns team that really didn't have the defensive capability to stop them because they didn't have the guys, and the Wolves team that were the Wolves. Um, but I just kind of think that the Nuggets offensive floor is still so high. 
the Lakers are going to be really scrapping to get there. You mentioned the depth. I think it's interesting in that the Nuggets have eight guys that they play in the rotation. That's it. It's the starters and Bruce Brown, Christian Brown, and Jeff Green. The Lakers' advantage in the series may come down to their willingness and ability because they don't have anybody that like is guaranteed spots. Yeah. Darvin Ham can be like, hey, Lonnie Walker, your yeah. time's up. Like, I wouldn't be surprised to see Malik Beasley. Your time to get in there. Uh, there's talk about them using another center like they did in 2020 to disrupt Jokic with basically gooning him up the way Dwight Howard did. One, I don't think that that works because Jokic is just a better player now. Two, I don't think that Mo Bamba or Tristan Thompson or what Dwight Howard was uh, three years ago. But uh, that's going to be like one of the questions that they're, they are going to face, I think, in this series. Um, the depth is going to be really interesting. Do you have a prediction for Lakers Nuggets? Yeah, I, I said uh, Nuggets in seven. I, I think they're going to close that at home. Yeah, uh, no, I, I was, I'm curious. Like, I know this is more of the narrative versus uh, the, the actual statistical evidence, but like, do you get a sense? I mean, the Nuggets have this is their goal, right? And this is has long been their goal. This is they're exactly where they want to be, and for the opportunity to get to the NBA Finals and win a championship. But do you think they get an understanding, or they have an understanding? of how important it is to take on these uh, team like the Lakers with the kind of experience factor that AD and, and, and LeBron in particular have. Um, it's just like, I am looking at it and, and it's just, you know, you, you were rattling off how, how, you know, the nuggets haven't faced anybody of, of, or you could say that they haven't faced anybody of consequence, but do they understand, do you think the nuggets uh, like the challenge of taking on these kinds of veterans that have championship level experience versus I don't think there's anybody, Oh, KCP. There's nobody else really on the roster with that kind of championship level experience, especially not Jokic. So, I mean, is it, is, is it a factor? And do you think the nuggets are prepared for it? I think honestly, the best thing about them is that they don't look at it that way. Mm. Um, I think it's, I think you get in trouble if you're like, Oh man, we got to get, we got to get past the Lakers and LeBron. You can't be intimidated. You're just going to be like, we're a really good team. We've won all year. We're the one seed. We've won all of our home games in the playoffs. Like we, we should win. We're, we should be the favorite. We should win this, this series. I think getting wrapped up in the idea of the mystique is where you start to get rattled. I think getting wrapped up in the idea of like, Oh man, how like when you put more pressure on yourself, you'll tighten yeah. up. The Nuggets just need to play basketball. They just need to play Nuggets. They need to play Nuggets basketball. And the Lakers will do a lot to take that away from them. Like, they will. They're a great defense. This defense is elite with Anthony Davis playing the way he is. But yeah, I think if the Nuggets just continue to, to do things their way, the Nuggets are a lot closer. They're not a very dra dramatic team. They're a lot yeah. closer to the Spurs without the championship pedigree. Yeah. And the Spurs with that championship pedigree, maybe that team's not very, is not good enough. That's entirely possible. But I think for them, it's the right attitude for them to take. Cause I think them getting intimidated is a bad approach on the other side. We have a bunch of topics to hit. The NBA draft lottery is tonight. As you listen to this on Tuesday, uh, the Philadelphia 76ers are in disarray. The Suns fired their head coach, John Morant's in trouble again. We'll hit all sorts of topics on the other side. As we wrap up locked on nuggets, not locked on nuggets that's my other show locked on nba but first i need to tell you about price picks and price picks has got the one million dollar daily Superflex promotion running throughout the nba playoffs and into the finals every day during the playoffs through the finals price picks you will pick one user 
and give them a chance at becoming a millionaire. One entry placed after 8 a.m. Eastern will be randomly selected each day, and whoever placed that entry will be given a six-pick flex with the following payouts. If you get six right, that's $1 million. Five correct picks is $80,000. Four correct picks is $16,000. Full details can be found at prizepicks.com million. You must opt in at this link to be eligible for the million-dollar entry, and once you opt in, all you have to do is play the game like normal, and you could be the lucky winner. Download the PrizePix app or go to prizepix.com to sign up and play daily fantasy sports. First-time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with promo code LOCKEDON, L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N. If you deposit $100, they'll give you $100, put in $50, and they'll match you with $50. Don't forget to enter promo code LOCKEDON at sign up for an instant deposit match up to $100. PrizePix is daily fantasy made easy. We'll be right back on Locked On NBA. Back here on Locked On NBA, thanks for joining us. This is going to be a rapid fire segment because we have so much news to get through. Um, <laughs> wanted to give both the the four teams that are still remaining in the NBA playoffs, since that's the point of the sport is the games that are played. But now it's time for all the nonsense that always surrounds the NBA. Um, let's start at the top. The Philadelphia 76ers lose in embarrassing fashion in game seven to the Boston Celtics. Absolute meltdown. Joel Embiid was horrific. James Harden was terrible. There's conversations about Doc Rivers and whether or not he'll return. There's conversations about James Harden. My question for you, David, what is going to be the biggest ramification from this loss by the Sixers in Game 7? I don't think there will be any. I think, Ooh, they, I I think they stay the course. I think Doc stays there. I think they... They tweak their roster as they have to. I don't know if they're going to be able to find any takers for everything else, but I, I think it's just they were close. And I think that's kind of what we, it's fun to kind of piggyback on, on on everybody kind of piling on them right now. But I, I don't know that they, they, they played badly, but, you know, Tatum's great fourth quarter in game six, notwithstanding, like this is a, a Sixers series and they move on to the Eastern Conference finals. And then nobody has these kind of perspectives of like, oh, we got to roast this team. They're garbage. Uh, he fell apart in game seven, blah, blah, blah. Like there were, you know, they were good. They were this close to being an, an, NBA, an Eastern Conference finalist. And, and I think we shouldn't overlook that. I think the Celtics played a really good game seven. They blew them away and uh, blew them out. And, and I, I think that's just, that's it. I think this is still a good enough team. You tweak it, you change it, you come back stronger, healthier, uh, and maybe a little bit better, and you t- take your chances again. What do you think? I think it's possible everything changes. Um, really? I think, yeah. I think So here's an interesting question is, we're going to find out whether or not the stuff that for, about Harden to Houston was legitimate hmm. or if it was a mechanism to make sure that he gets the max contract that he feels that he deserves and that he wants on his way out. This is the last right. big contract for Harden, right? And either th- there's been so much smoke about Harden, you wonder, like, is it really this obvious? But everyone continues to say that, yeah, like, he wants to go back to Houston and he plans to go back to Houston. Uh, Doc Rivers, I will say this, like, there's been there was reports today yeah. uh, from Ramona Shelburne of ESPN that the chances of James Harden returning to the Sixers decrease if Doc Rivers is retained. So, like, that's, like, an interesting wrinkle in all this. Wow. And then finally, I'll just say this. There was noise about Joel Embiid's future in Philadelphia before this series. Like, I've heard stuff around the league. Now, 
I'm not reporting anything because I don't have it. I don't have anything like Joel Embiid has not called me up and been like, yeah, man, if I, we don't win the, the finals, I'm out of here. That's not happening, right? I will say that the there is noise, and a lot of times in the NBA, that's all it is is noise. There was noise about Damian Lillard for years, but there was years before Sunday about the possibility of, of Joel Embiid not being a Philadelphia 76er for the duration of his career. I will be very interested to see what happens this summer about what he wants, about what happens with the franchise, about where this thing goes, because there's a lot of pressure. There is a lot of, of questions about this entire thing. And I'm just going to be very curious to see how this shakes out. Maybe you're right. Maybe they just run it back. I wouldn't surprise me at all. That's the easiest Occam's razor answer is they just run it back, but they had a lot of success this year. They were a really good team, but that's yeah. kind of my, but that's my thing though, David is that they were a really good team. They had PJ Tucker to be that guy for them. They had Tyrese Maxey. They had all these guys. They had so much go their way. They were a top five offense and defense. And they still couldn't get it done. Not now than when. Uh, next. Monty Williams fired his coach of the Phoenix Suns after another blowout loss in an elimination game as the Nuggets absolutely destroyed the Suns in Phoenix. Um Good decision, bad decision, necessary decision, or just a decision? I think it was a necessary decision, right? At least that's a, the scuttle there. And I'm not plugged in nearly enough to know exactly how much he had lost his connection with you know guys like DeAndre Ayton in particular, or maybe others in that locker room. I think they just sometimes you just feel like you need a different voice, maybe somebody to just have a different level of impact and it's unfortunate you get a new owner too i think that's a big part of it is like well you know what that's the easiest change i can't trade x player so i already made my big swing for kevin durant what else can i do oh i can i can tweak the the, the coaching hire you know i can i can bring in my guy somebody i feel comfortable with so I, I i feel it was likely to happen maybe that's the other option it wasn't even necessary but it was just likely to happen because when the new owner that's almost always how it, it works out is that you want to bring in your your leadership there. Uh, I mean, if I were James Jones, I'd start putting my resume out there to be honest with you. Cause I just, I wonder how much longer his stay will be there if they can't get it done next year. So um, I don't know, like, like Monty Williams, the person versus Monty Williams, the coach is always a, a tough thing for me to debate because I, I like him so much and everything he's gone through. And, you know, you hear about the great connections he's had with players throughout his whole career from his playing days to his coaching days as an assistant and everything in between. And then, you know, there were some questionable decisions in that series against the Nuggets, and and he, he could have been better. He could have coached a better game. Um, and yet the roster was limited. There were not a lot of other options outside of KD. Chris Paul was hurt yet again. Is that his fault? Absolutely not. So it's tough. Um, I just – I don't know who they're going to hire who's going to be a better option than what Monty Williams was able to provide. So that's that's a conversation for another episode, I'm sure. What do you think? A lot of whispers about Ty Lue, if he doesn't mm. return to the Los Angeles Clippers, that perhaps he could be the guy. Um, honestly, here's my thing. Scott Brooks get fi gets fired, replaced by Billy Donovan. Kevin Durant goes to Golden State. Steve Kerr stays there because Steve Kerr, and they won a bunch of championships. Goes to Brooklyn. Kenny Atkinson's fired. Steve Nash gets hired. Steve Nash gets fired. Kevin Durant goes to Phoenix. Monty Williams gets fired. Now, I'm not saying that that was on KD. I am saying that there is a pattern here, and I'm saying that probably that had something to do with it. Now, I do think that probably Matt Ishbia is probably the biggest thing here because it sounds like he wants to do things his way and install his people. My response, I, the question of who you're going to get to that's going to be better is a big one here. Like, there's rumors about Ty Lue. There's rumors about Isaiah Thomas. That is a huge disparity in quality of coach. 
There's a massive disparity in quality of coach. I don't look. The Suns made the finals. The Suns came back, had the best record in the Western Conference. The Suns had the best record in the Western Conference before Devin Booker got hurt this season in December. Okay. They had like eight games with Kevin Durant to figure stuff out. You just, I think this was premature. I think this decision was too early. That there was an opportunity for, like, I think Williams had shown enough in building culture that putting all of these elimination games, especially given the context of the the Dallas loss with a lot of the question marks about COVID in that game. And then this one, like they were just, they were outgunned. They were missing two starters. Yes. Paul is not Chris Paul anymore. And Deandre Ayton is Deandre Ayton still, but they were still missing two starters. You had not yeah. rebuilt the roster. I don't think Monty Williams got a fair shake. I don't think it was uh, the right decision. I don't think that they, that they fairly evaluated that. If you think you you can do better, okay, but they better hit this higher because if not, it's going to be a massive misstep early on in the tenure of Matt Ishbia as governor of the Suns. Uh, John Morant mm. shows up on Instagram again. He's in a car flashing a gun on Instagram. Um, no legal ramifications. There's all sorts of laws in Tennessee that make that legal. Um, but it's obviously a pretty bad look. Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN has done a lot of reporting on this and has basically indicated that the league's going to drop the hammer on him. And it's not surprising. My take here is it, it was dumb. It was reckless. It mostly, I did not believe Ja when, when as somebody that is very, I'm, I'm pretty Memphis forward. As somebody that like wants good things for that franchise, I did not believe him when he did this whole, his whole thing was just like, yeah, no, I just needed some time. I just, you know, it's fine. Like he, I've seen this before where a player has, I've covered a player where he had issues off court and he kept denying that he had those problems. Like, sadly, it's not until you really have something dramatic or traumatic happen. And hopefully that doesn't occur with, with Morant to make you change your behavior. But in, but Morant doing that, it was a slap in the face to the Memphis Grizzlies organization that had stood by him. It was a slap in the face of the NBA that chose not to issue a heavy suspension upon him in the face of his first incident. It's a slap in the face of the Memphis fans that had supported him. It's a slap in the face of everybody that is associated that stands to benefit from his incredible stardom. Like this guy's got so much potential for earning with Nike and power and all these opportunities. And he's blowing it because he's not willing to face up to the things that he needs to change from an, from a maturity standpoint. And I try and be as empathetic as possible because I remember how dumb I was at his age. Hmm. I think everybody's dumb when they're that age. It doesn't change the fact that he is in unique circumstances. He has a lot on the line. And if he doesn't, he's like, it's going to hurt him next season. It's going to hurt the team. He's going to face a pretty substantial substantial uh, suspension. It sounds like, and that could change a lot of things with Memphis uh, this is all dumb, and there's no one from for Morant to blame but himself. Uh, I hate guns. Uh, I'm not a big fan. Um, I, I know that that might not be a popular take with a lot of our listeners or viewers, but that's just that, that's how I was. Uh, I, how I grew up. Not even how I was raised. There was always a gun in the house. I just never liked it. Never felt comfortable. I don't feel comfortable. I, I don't like gun culture in general, and and I feel bad that Morant has embraced it. Uh, as much as he has and, and wants to define part of his off the court persona 
by identifying with gun culture to a certain degree. But I will also say that uh, I think there's a level of hypocrisy about how it's viewed, considering how many politicians that aren't, you know, that don't look like John Morant, should I say, that are more than comfortable walking around with AR-15s strapped around them or have their kids in Christmas pictures with a gun around them, et cetera. And I think it's somewhat problematic that we're holding this against Morant as much as we do, because I think there is, and I'm glad that you brought it up. I, I think rather than looking at this as just saying Morant is dumb, and I agree with you, I think there's a part that's certainly part of the problem, or that he violated a law, which he did not. There were no laws, either team, NBA, or otherwise. Whether it's a bad decision, absolutely, but it doesn't violate any necessary laws other than his own image. I, I think there are deeper issues here. And that's part of the problem. So rather than, you know, maybe it's me as a, as a parent of a young child now, but rather than laying the smack down and on coming right away to say, you know what, what you did was stupid. This was wrong. You're going to get punished for it, et cetera, which is basically what they're doing with Morant, who is in many ways still a very young man. He, he needs to be helped. And I don't know if that's on Morant's people. I don't know if it's on the team. I don't know if it's on the league or a combination of all three, but somebody needs to intervene because I think he can't seem to get out of his own way. And to your point, I think there are deeper emotional issues and maybe even uh, substance abuse issues. And if that's the case, then we're not going to see this going away and no suspension to start off next season is going to erase that until he hits rock bottom, which is something that everybody wants to avoid so i think that's where the conversation is better suited rather than just focusing on the act itself is that how can we take steps uh to prevent him from going down this path again and i know they tried this you know he sought some help to what extent and how effective it was clearly it didn't really make much of a difference uh during the course of the regular season but he looks like he still needs help and if that's the case then we as a society and we as fans of this league and the league itself should do everything they can to help their players because he needs help. I think that much is clear. You know, I've just criticized Moran a lot. I will say like the culture of criticism in the media probably adds to his reluctance to embrace it. Right. Like if you're, sure. if you're criticized, you tend to just buckle down and, and, and double down against it. I think that's part of the equation here. Um, there's a lot to kind of parse through and it's going to be a continuing story. I think for a while, with John Morant. Finally, in lighter news, the mm -hmm. NBA draft lottery is tonight Dang. on Tuesday. David, I don't know if you know this as a Heat fan. Um, there's this thing called the lottery, and then they like give out these draft picks, and then you take players that are young and you build with those guys instead of like what? 37 year olds. What, what, why don't you just bring superstars over and show them all, all the women on South Beach? Isn't that what we do here? I mean, is that, don't other teams do that as well? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Or superstars or Kyle Lowry. Um, oh. <laughs> so. Uh, <laughs> I'll ask you this question. I will give mine and give you a second to think about it. What would be your preferred outcome for the number one pick for Victor Wembanyama? Oh, Who was the one I team that you wish would win? I, I, and I, mine, I am so, so far removed from all that. Go ahead. And mine, you can think about it for a second. I'm going to bet you're not going to say Houston. Mine would be <laughs> the Indiana Pacers, a team that like traded Demonis Sabonis, got Tyrese Halliburton back, tried to win this year. Like actually, we're competitive. Have young players. The combination of Tyrese Halliburton and Victor Wembanyama would be the most dangerous pick and roll combination in the NBA. Yes, including Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray. Yes, including LeBron James and Anthony Davis. Yes, including Steph Curry and Draymond Green. Victor Wembanyama and Tyrese Halliburton would be an incredible combo. That's what I'm rooting for with the NBA draft lottery. What's a team that you think would be really cool if they got Victor Wembanyama? San Antonio Spurs. 
I'd like, like to see him go into that culture uh, and, and have a, a good solid foundation, a good solid coach. Cause that's the whole thing too. It's like, well, you've mentioned the Rockets. I'm not going to say anything, but you have to have a good solid foundation for these players with talent to be able to continue to thrive. They've got a vision. I think they could do just enough to help him reach that next level. Who knows how long uh, Greg Popovich will continue coaching. But I, I think at the same time, like you've got a good structure to harness that talent, to put other players around him. And I, I think they, they will kind of measure uh, his production over the course of the season and, and help him continue to grow and thrive. Not to say that other teams won't, and there might be more exciting options, as you said, but I think that might be the better for his long-term growth and impact in the NBA. That's going to do it for Locked On NBA. Thanks for joining us. You can follow David on Twitter at DRamil13 and catch him on Locked On Heat Monday through Friday, five days a week. Your team every day through the conference finals yet again for your Miami Heats. You can catch me over at Locked On Nuggets. I'm also at the Action Network. I'm on Twitter at HP Basketball. Don't follow that account. I hope you guys have yourselves a great day. John Corrales, Jake Madison will be back with you after the lottery as well as we'll have a lottery reaction show from Locked On Network. Thanks for joining us, everybody. Have a great day. We'll see you guys again next time on Locked On NBA.